Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Acts chapter 4, where we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. Earlier this week, I uh, read a helpful article by Dale Ralph Davis. Those of you in the women's Bible study know how indebted all many of us are to uh, the former Old Testament professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson and uh, current um, uh, pastor of teaching down at uh, First Presbyterian in Columbia, South Carolina. But he uh, was speaking of uh, studying the scriptures uh, and how we need to just beg God to show us the truth. Well, he, he encouraged me and others to, to come to his word and beg him, to plead with him, to reveal himself. Otherwise, these are just words on a page. But as we know from Scripture's own description of itself, it is a living word. So let's go to the author of this living word and ask, beg, plead for his help. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for preserving this, your word, the Holy Scriptures, for your people. Oh God, they would be just words on a page apart from the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need the author of this book to open our eyes to see the truth, to open our ears to hear the truth, open our minds to know the truth, open our hearts to embrace the truth, and open and strengthen our hands to live out your truth. Father, be pleased to meet with your people. Open our blind eyes, open our deaf ears, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, I was very sad that a landmark in northern Kentucky was torn down. Most of you didn't realize it, but several times a day, a week, you passed right by this landmark on I-71, 75, just north of Buttermilk Pike in Fort Mitchell. Do you know what landmark I'm talking about? The Drawbridge Inn. Yes, it is no more. It's an empty space waiting for redevelopment. Well, in its latter years, the Drawbridge Inn hosted military reunion after military reunion after military reunion. You would drive by the Drawbridge Inn and you would see a sign on their marquee saying that this ship or this unit was, was meeting here. And, and to be sure, it was a central location in the United States for men and indeed women to come from all over and to, to be together. And when I would walk through the lobby on various occasions and see generally older men with one another, you could see that there was indeed lifelong friendships there that were forged out of shared experiences that go all the way from the mundane of their daily routine to the rigor of training to the intensity of combat. You could see it on their faces, deep, lifelong friendships forged from a common experience. Now, in our text today, we will see the depth of relationship that people in the church have with one another, which comes from a shared experience. Here we are in Acts, looking back at our history 
and moving forward in our mission. Acts, once again, is our history and knowing our history, who we are and where we've been, and being thankful for our history is a necessary component as we move into the future. In Acts, we are all given a front row seat to see how Jesus kept His promises to build His church and to be with His church now through the personal presence and power of His Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, these 28 chapters here, are given to inform us and to strengthen our faith, to remind us, because we often forget, that Christianity is grounded in what God has done in history. His acts. Acts is, reminds us that at the core of the gospel is good news. Every other religion is good advice how to get right with God. Christianity is good news as to what God has done for us to get right with Him. Last week when we were in Acts chapter 4 verses 23 through 31, we saw a model prayer, a prayer of praise, a prayer of petition, and a prayer of recognition. Where the church recognized the connection between their weakness and God's strength. Their present situation and the promises of Scripture. And between their outward circumstances and their inward hearts. And you see that God answered prayer for boldness to continue preaching Jesus. To continue proclaiming the gospel. Well here in our text today is a second brief overview of the common life of believers. And a summary of the inner life of the church. And a few weeks ago... We looked at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and we asked the question, what in the world is the church? We saw that the church is a community that worships God and welcomes one another. We saw that the church looks upward in worship, inward in welcome, and as worship and welcome are, are, are done, there's an outward movement in witness. And as it ties in today with today's text, we see that the church is a loving community, a learning community, a loving community, a worshiping community, and a witnessing community. The church is indeed a family. Join with me now as I read uh, verses 32 through 37. Actually, let me begin in verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Luke, 
the author of Luke and the author of Acts, wants us to know that the life together of the church had two defining characteristics. The church was united and the church was generous. First, we see that in the church there was unity of heart. Look with me again at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They were of one heart and soul and had everything in common. One heart. Unity at the fundamental core of a person. The center of a person's life. And one soul, a proverbial expression for that one spirit that is found among friends. They had everything in common. And here, when you get to the original language, you get the word koine. For those of you who may be familiar with that, it's koine Greek, the common Greek of the day. And it's where you get koinonia, fellowship. And so when you think about fellowship, at its heart is a common life, a common belief, a common faith. Now let's explore this unity for a moment. Uh, let's think about the force behind the unity. Well, what would be the cause of this unity? What would be, what is it that brought these people together? Well, of course, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been seeing in Acts. It's not like these are people that are just part of some affinity group. They, they, they like the same things, you know, the fly fishing group, the needlepoint group, the uh, bicycle racing group. It's not an affinity group. It's rather a, a spiritual unity. Because remember, what happened at Pentecost was the reversal of Babel, where at, at Babel, the people were scattered. And here at Pentecost, people are gathered and brought together. If you look at chapter 2, verse 47... And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, God was saving them and He was adding them. He was bringing them, gathering them into the church by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the force behind the unity. Well, what's the foundation of the unity? Notice, now the full number of those who believe. Those who believed. You see, the foundation of the unity is doctrine. And what did they believe? They believed the gospel. They believed the gospel as proclaimed by the apostles. We've seen Peter preach and people believe. The gospel, that's that message about God, about man, about sin, about Jesus Christ, and a summons to faith and repentance. The gospel as news. And as we've been saying, what do you do with news? What do you do with news? I mean, think about it for a moment. You hear the news. What do you do with news? You believe it or you don't believe it. You believe it or you disbelieve it. And that news... That good news, that gospel is focused on Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. And interestingly, the apostles preached the gospel, the good news, where? 
from the Old Testament scriptures as they lined up the scriptures with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This unity of doctrine, of belief, there was real unity, but there was not uniformity in the church. In other words, there were no Christian clones. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes to the church saying that there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. There's a unity of belief. Now, what is that focus of the unity? There's the force, the work of the Holy Spirit, the foundation, the doctrine, the gospel. And the focus is Jesus Christ. They were all united as to who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. They had their eyes fixed on Jesus. They were united in Christ. And Paul, the apostle, who at this time is going to be one who is persecuting the church. He's not yet come to faith in Christ, but he will expand and drill down deep on the blessings of what it means to be united by faith in Christ and united to one another. Early in my days as a young naval officer in Norfolk, Virginia, a Bible study or a men's Sunday school class that I was a part of uh, worked through the book called the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And in it, Tozer says something that I still remember. He says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Do you hear what Tozer is saying? Unity is not something that you just force and say, let's work together and get closer. No, unity is created when everybody's looking to Jesus. I was just at a conference this past week, about 300, 350 ministers from all over the country and indeed the world. There was a unity. I hung out with a brother from India. There was a unity, not because we were trying to force ourselves to be in fellowship, but because we were both, by God's grace, looking to Jesus. My friends, you know, at Grace and Peace, if we keep looking to Jesus, looking to Him, there will be unity. There will be fellowship. It's both a challenge and an encouragement to all of us to keep looking to Jesus. Yes, one of us will like fishing and another won't. One of us will like stock car racing and the other won't. One of us will like this, that. But there will be unity in Christ. And you notice that this is in an atmosphere, an overall atmosphere of great power and great grace. Look with me. In verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Kids, when you're reading this in the original language, it's mega power. 
and its mega grace. This great power is power from on high that Jesus told his disciples to wait for at the end of Luke. And at the beginning of Acts, it was power that you will receive. It's great grace. Kind of the more the meaning here is it's God's favor on his young church. You see, in the New Testament record, in the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, we see that the Father's favor rested upon Jesus as he grew in wisdom and stature. Here we see that the unity of the life of Christ and the life of the church, because Jesus is saying, what has happened to me, suffering then glory, is also going to happen to you, suffering and then glory. The Holy Spirit, my Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, it's worked powerfully in me and it will work powerfully in you. The body of Christ and Christ the head of the church in union and communion. You see, the church is made up of people who are united, who have one heart and soul and have everything in common. And one particular manifestation of their oneness of heart and their commonality of life that Luke wants us to know is that they shared material possessions. The church that was united was also generous. And so there's a second defining characteristic of the church's life together. Generosity. And we see that in verses 34 through 37. Now, what is their attitude toward possessions? Well, back to verse 32, uh, that, that expression, in common. But no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. No one said, no one claimed. That was an attitude that they had that led to an action. Now, in the Greek and Roman world of the day, there was an ideal that, that common ownership, public ownership of a common space or a common building would somehow lead to a oneness of spirit. But in Acts, what we see is the oneness of the spirit leads to common ownership. We read later that there was... Not a needy person among them. No needy people. Why? Because they shared their material possessions. Many of those would be familiar with the book of Deuteronomy. And there was a promise that God made in Deuteronomy 15 that said, But there will be no poor among you, as I bless you in the land, says the Lord. You see, that promise that there will be no poor among you is being fulfilled. And the blessing is not through an abundant harvest, but rather through open hearts and open hands. Now let's think for a moment about generosity in general. Uh, we, we see in verses 34 and 35, there were, there were those in need at first, but those needs are being met. Now this is not communism where what is yours is everyone's. But rather this is Christianity. What's mine is yours. It's, it's voluntary. It's not coerced. It's not forced. It's not required. It's, it's voluntary. It's a 
reflex of love. Now, how many of you all remember the scariest part of the doctor's physical examination? I was scared to death of the reflex hammer going to my knee because I was afraid that my knee wouldn't respond. But yeah, he kept tapping and sure enough, without me doing anything, there was a reflex. My leg went up, right? It also tingled a bit too, which I wasn't too thrilled about. But it was a reflex. It was, as it were, voluntary, automatic. Grace in giving and in receiving. Here we see the church is is going to be a community of mutual care and concern. So generosity in general, but then Luke speaks of generosity in particular. And he uses the example of Barnabas. And we see that beginning in verse 36. Here Barnabas is introduced. He'll show up again in chapter 9. And I want us to hear how Barnabas is described in chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. Acts eleven twenty-two. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then listen to this description. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. The apostles gave Barnabas a nickname, son of encouragement. And we see that he lives up to that nickname as Paul will write about him in his letters and and in um, Acts. And what we see in particular is this is Luke's way of setting up. Another example, not of generosity, but of hypocrisy, of theft with Ananias and Sapphira that we'll see next week. You see, chapter divisions aren't original. And so you see Luke is talking about Barnabas and his example of generosity, and he's going to immediately pivot to another example, one that is not of generosity. Generosity, spirit-empowered boldness indeed. Look with me again to verse 31. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with all boldness. You see, verse 31 leads to verses 32 through 35 to 37. Remember what the Spirit's work is? It to oppose a spirit of fear. Paul writes in Romans 8 that the Spirit assures us that we are God's children. Assurance. Boldness. You see, there are two forms of boldness that the Spirit empowers. The first is, of course, in word, to declare, but also in deed, to demonstrate. And did you see how, again, that atmosphere of great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Did you see where there is word witness in the middle and in the midst of deed witness? The apostles are talking about the power of Christ 
with arguments and evidences. And the community is demonstrating the reality of that resurrection and newness of heart, life, and relationships. They are displaying a generosity of heart, of home, and of wallet. So generosity is truly spirit-enabled and empowered. So why would we, why would I not be generous? I don't think it's due so much that we're just stingy, but rather we're afraid. Our lack of generosity is due to fearfulness. Now what do I mean? Well, the more Christians, as we see, were assured of God's love, the more spiritually secure and confident and fearless they became in that assurance. And as they became assured, they became generous. They opened their lives, their homes, their purses to others. The heart motivation came from the inside, not from the outside through coercion or manipulation. And just as it was risky to speak of Christ, it was also risky to be generous. Because you've got to think, would God protect me if I give stuff away? Would God provide for me if I'm sharing with others? But as the New Testament unfolds, as Acts moves on, we see that yes, they became assured that God would protect and God would provide. You see, the generosity we see in these verses 32 through 37, it's the direct result of the Spirit that we see working powerfully in verse 31. And you see, a lack of fear leads to open-handed generosity. Because when you and I aren't afraid, when we can sing, the Lord will provide... Though troubles assail us and dangers affright, though friends should all fail us and foes all unite, this one thing assures us, whatever betide, the Lord is our tower, the Lord will provide. Open-handed generosity is symptomatic of a heart that's set free from the tyranny, the slavery, the idolatry of the creation. More specifically, money. This past week, as I mentioned, I was uh, at a conference for ministers in Pennsylvania, and one of the talks from a missionary from France was called Living in the Supernatural Now. Living in the Supernatural Now. And one of his early points, it was sort of made in passing, is that false religion is a burden to carry. As he proclaims the gospel of Christ in southern France, People are trapped by false religions and it's a burden to carry. But he says the true religion, Christianity, is a burden that has been carried by another. My friends, the prophet Isaiah looked forward to the day when the Lord would indeed carry His people. So, Do we build people up with this truth of that burden-bearing Christianity? Do we build them up spiritually, 
physically, as much as we hope to maybe build programs and maybe one day to build a building? I mean, is there a capital campaign of sorts going on for you to strengthen and build up one another? Ask yourself this question. Who, and put a name in the who, are you right now, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, who are you building up in the faith by sharing your faith with them? What we see in Acts 4 is the sharing of faith. So here, in this passage, is the church's common shared experience of encountering the grace of God. It's the second summary of the church's life that is centered upon their life together in fellowship with one another. The church is a new family defined not by natural birth, but rather supernatural birth and adoption. Here we see the corporate nature and character of Christianity. No one can read the Bible in general and Acts in particular and come away with the idea that the Christian life is just Jesus and me. No. You read the Bible and you see that Christianity is Jesus and us. Jesus and his bride, his body, his church. So I think this passage this portion of God's word leaves us with one question. Do our lives reflect the reality of this kind of fellowship? If it's not, which I could pretty much assure us that in one way or another, it's not. The answer is not to look deep within us, but rather to look outside of ourselves to another to not look down and in but to look up and out the other being of course Jesus Christ you see Jesus saw our need and he took action he's the one who took selfless sacrificial and voluntary action on our behalf he is the one as we heard earlier who though he was rich became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. This was how Paul motivated the church in Corinth to be gracious. Not motivated by guilt, but rather through gratitude. My friends, our life together, true Christian fellowship, is costly and it's not easily attained. But as we work toward maintaining and strengthening our fellowship with one another... Remember, the Holy Trinity of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lost fellowship for a time so that you and I could find fellowship with God and with fellow believers for all eternity. You see, the perfect union and communion of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was, as it were, ripped apart for a time. So that you and I could be put back together and be reunited to God and united to one another in one family as brothers and sisters in Christ. My friends, the high cost of fellowship, the entrance fee, the membership dues has been paid in full. So as we continue to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, both on the outside of us and on the inside of this church, 
May God be pleased to display the unity of heart and demonstrate the generosity of hand that can only be produced by the personal presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this window into the common life together of the early church. We thank you, Father, for seeing that their needs were met as your Spirit worked among your people. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to continue to build up the unity in heart that we have by helping all of us look to Jesus, even more than looking to one another, help us to look to Jesus. And Father, may that unity of heart be more and more reflected in generosity of hand. We thank you, Father, for your living and active word. And we ask that not only today, but tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives, your word would be at work in our lives through your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are indeed united.